0: Hi, I'm Jonathan Groves, and welcome to the Cranmer Fellows Podcast. This is a podcast that explores pastoral ministry from an Anglican perspective. If you are a pastor, ministry leader, or an aspiring minister, I, along with my co-host Matt Kennedy, pray that this podcast will help equip and encourage you in your ministry to Christ Church. This podcast is an arm of the pastoral training program, the Cranmer Fellowship, at Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York. Church of the Good Shepherd is a congregation committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ and sharing the good news of His life, death, and resurrection through the study, exposition, proclamation, and application of His Word, the Scriptures. If you would like more information about the Cranmer Fellowship, Church of the Good Shepherd, or if you want to reach out to us about this podcast, please do so by emailing us at cranmerfellowship, at gmail.com now let's get to today's episode welcome back to the crammer fellows podcast we have been sort of a wall for a bit (laughs) um at least matt i have matt with me today we haven't talked uh on the podcast for i think like six weeks now um or so the last uh Four episodes were, were recordings, past recordings of of sermons and, and Christian eds, which were great. Um, and then life got busy, and uh, it's my fault, but we have not had an episode since then. So I do apologize for that. I know all the podcast gurus say that that's bad podcast etiquette, um, but uh, I hope you can forgive me. Um, uh, but um, with that said, we are back. Um and I feel like because now we're back and I haven't talked in the microphone for a while now, it'd be a good time to uh, plug the Cranmer Fellowship again, uh, remind people about it. Um, so, of course, um, we have a few people who listen to this podcast. You know what we're we're about here. Uh, but if you haven't already, uh, you can go to the Cranmer Fellowship. So not the Cranmer Fellows thecranmerfellowship.com, and there you'll find all of our podcast episodes. You'll also see that there's a spot for uh, articles, future articles that will be coming um, that are in the works right now. Uh, but that that website serves really two purposes. Uh, one, to be a, a a resource for pastoral ministry and theology, but also it, it gives information uh, about our training program at Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, um, which is going to be uh, and is a, a two-year program at Good Shepherd. Um, you would you'll come, uh, you'll get hands-on ministry experience. Uh, you won't at the end get a degree because we're not uh, an accredited college, um, but there will be uh, a certificate that ex- expresses uh, you've proven yourself in a variety of ministry, uh, context. So whatever you are, uh, thinking, whether you're, uh, trying, whether you've already gone to seminary and you're looking for a ministry context or, or you haven't gone to seminary and you're trying to figure out his church, is church ministry, is this something that I, I even want to get into? Um, I, I think this, uh, could be a, a great option for you. Now, um, we are looking for funding options Uh, we understand that it is a lot to ask somebody to come uh, (laughs) uh, work for two years at our church uh, get another job and find housing and uh, not get paid so our goal of course is not to have it be that way so be in in prayer um, for that um, how we can get some funding and if there's any uh, rich people listening to this and you want to fund the program um, you know uh, shoot me a message (laughs) Um, but with that said, if if you're listening and you are looking for a way to be tested in ministry, um, and it's it's been on your mind, uh, please reach out to us. You can email us at now, this is a bit confusing, uh, Cranmer Fellowship at gmail.com. The website's the Cranmer Fellowship. The email is Cranmer Fellowship. No the. Um, Cranmer Fellowship at gmail.com. And I mean, we'd just love to hear from you and start a conversation um about um your 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 uh discernment discernment process so that's that matt how are you how have you been since last time we we spoke on the podcast
1: but it's been a it's been a insane two months of just really a lot of work a lot of work so i know you're tired too so that's part of the reason you know, it, it, pastoral ministry will take the wind out of you. So, so we've been both have been kind of weary over the last few months. So, just just things happen in the parish, things happen in our own lives, and so it's been a, yeah kind of a difficult season, I think. Um, and and yet, yeah, at the same time, the church is booming. It's, 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 it's the church is doing great. We're exhausted, but
0: so. yeah, what what is what's with that? <laughs> like your personal life goes down the drain, but then the ministry is great.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, Uh, Yeah, no, it has been, it has been really busy. And we've, um, I I guess, two, two weeks ago now, uh, Matt and I were at our um, uh, diocesan um, clergy retreat um, in uh, San Antonio, Texas. And before that, uh, we had our vestry retreat, which wasn't really a retreat, uh, more like a long, long uh, meeting with coffee and donuts, <laughs> uh, so we called it a retreat. Um, and uh, but I, the reason I say that is because in that in that meeting uh, we worked through things like what a vestry is, um, and then also we talked about Anglican uh, church governance as as a whole. So Matt, I thought that would be a a, a good a good conversation for us to us to have. Um, and so I consulted my past Baptist self uh, and wrote down some questions as to how do Anglicans do things, um, how do they uh, run run the church? Um, but uh, before we before we get into that, maybe we can uh, take it in a, in a uh, um, uh, take a broader a broader question of, of of the importance of church governance. So I've run in I've run into this personally. I'm sure you have too um, where, and, and I, and I thought it as well in the past when I was in, um, when I was younger and going to Baptist churches and, and non-denominational churches where the idea of church governance not only is foreign, but it also, it, it sounds yucky. Um, like, um, it sounds kind of like stifling of the Holy spirit. I'm talking kind of the idea of the church as a movement, not an institution, that sort of, that sort of thing that people, uh, kind of uh that, that way they talk. Um but can you address that and answer the question, like I guess what do we mean when we say church governance and why is that important?
1: Within some non-denominational context and maybe some Pentecostal context, I don't know, uh the the idea of the spirit filled charismatic leader is is really keen. You know, if you have if you have a spirit filled pastor who's leading your church, then you're then that that's of course what you need. Um, but you know, I think I think that what those those systems and they are systems. They they may not believe themselves to be systems, but there's definitely governance there. The problem is it's governance that's that that is uh, based on one man and that one man's. Uh, ideas of what God might may or may not be telling him to do, right? And so, and so, if you have a bad man, or if you have, or if you have a man who who thinks God's telling him something that God's not telling him, or you have a man who is convinced of his spirit filled, spirit led decisions all the time, then you're going to have a tyranny. You're going to have a you're going to have a a, a a church not ruled by law and uh, God's law. But a church ruled by uh, by a charismatic leader. and you know the world has had a lot of experience with that and it hasn't gone well. And I know the church is not the world, but but there's sinners in the church. and no matter how how spiritual you are, you're a sinner. And so you need something beyond just a man who feels called to a mission and has a vision and then leads you down a path. And so most mainline churches, Protestant churches have, over the course of uh, centuries developed developed systems of, of governance um, and that have stood the test of time and and I know that the mainline churches are not great examples for any from for many things but uh, but in in some in some sense they are when it comes to governance because uh, because sometimes trying to reinvent reinvent church and which is what I think a lot of more modern evangelicals have done, reinventing church doesn't, doesn't work. It, it ends in disaster more often than not. So while our mainline friends have in many ways, or some of them anyway, have apostatized, as they're, they're no longer, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily look for, to them for anything else. Uh, there is, there is some value in the systems that they, that they created. Um, and I think in particular, the Anglican system of governance is, is, I think the best, but um, I'm open to disagreement, but I think it's, I think it's the, <laughs> the best, both on the, you know, on the provincial diocesan and level and also on the parish level. Um, so in a parish, you know, there's, I I'm, there's a lot of, there is a lot of authority given to say a rector, a, a great deal of authority. He's almost, he's almost like a bishop in residence. Um, but there's also limits on what he can do. And there's checks and balances on his, on his ability to just make a decision and say the lord told me this. I can't I can't go out in a in the forest and cast a vision and come back and tell the church we're going to do this and you're all going to go with me. Um I mean I could but <laughs> but, but then the vestry would have to say, well, you know, we're not so we're not so sure about we're going to fund that because because it sounds like it sounds insane. So so we're going to hold back on funding. So there's 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 a system of checks and balances within Anglican polity in the parish that I think keep me accountable. And um, and then above the parish level, of course, there's the bishop to whom I'm also uh, accountable. So there's 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 layers of human authority. And there's also written constitution and written, we have a written constitution for our parish, we have a written constitution for our diocese and for and for the, the province. So there's, 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 a, there's a rule by law that we believe is consistent with God's law that governs how leaders need. So,
0: so we don't need to get too much into the weeds here, but where do we get um, the idea of the threefold order of ministry, bishops, priests, and deacons?
1: OK, so there's two parts to this answer. So first part is that part of being a church that holds to the normative principle uh, is, is that we don't believe that the Bible necessarily provides authoritative prescriptive instructions for how the church is governed. Um, what we do believe is you can't govern the church in a way that's contrary to the scriptures. But, but unlike our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, for example, who believe their governance was given in the new Testament, the, 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 the uh, plurality of elders they believe is something the New Testament reveals and therefore must be followed because it regulates how the church does things. We don't think that that's what's going on in the new Testament. We think that they're, um, that there's, that's an area of freedom uh, insofar as we don't con- contrast or contradict what the scriptures say. And the reason we believe it's an area of freedom is because there's no command there. Like you see the example of elders being appointed. You do see that. No one's denying that, but you don't see a command that um, this is the only New Testament system that that can be used in the New Testament church. So that's the first part of the answer. The second part of the answer is. If I were going to get get into a debate with my Presbyterian brothers and sisters, I would point out that in the pages of the New Testament, I'm just going to play the regular principle here. uh, You have all three ministries, I think, there in a de facto way, if not in a prescriptive way. So definitely you have, we would agree, there's the office of presbyter, presbyteros. Um, and, and, um, then there's the office of the deacon, right? So there's two, there's two that are specifically named offices, uh, the office of, or the, the, the word that's translated, or the word that we take the word bishop from, episkopos, is in the New Testament used interchangeably with the word for elder. So you see this in, in particular in Titus 1, where Paul just switches from talking about elders to talk about overseers. And there, there's two different words that we get those two different offices from. But if you look at the, the, at the book of Titus, Titus 1 in particular, uh, Paul has left, um, left Titus on Crete to appoint elders slash overseers, raise them up, and set them over over churches, right? So what's Titus doing? He's 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 being kind of of a overseer for the overseer elders. Functionally, he's acting like our bishops act. He's so so I would say if you want an example of a threefold ministry, you have Titus as a bishop appointing elders and overseeing them. And then you have deacons and you have all three you have all three there. So we're not making it up Whole cloth. And if you read the fathers, but right, you know, by the first, by the early, early second century, you have Ignatius of Antioch clearly upholding the office of bishop, all three offices, but but he really holds the office of bishop as kind of overseeing the presbyters and deacons. Um, so it's very, very early. I would say it goes back to the apostolic era. Oh I can't. There
0: we hear. go. Sorry, okay. I was muted. Um yeah and ignatius names those bishops every letter that he writes right he names the bishop that's there over right. kind of overseeing that church and yeah. you know going back to the the idea of the normative principle the the uh text in the old testament regarding uh uh temple worship and and leadership was very clear and god very, gave gave very clear instructions And I, I just, I I think, you know, one of the uh, greatest evidences of the normative principle is that when you get to the new Testament, it's not extremely clear. Um, it's very, uh, it's very uh, freedom. There's just freedom that's given, um, to the Christians to set up, um, an orderly, uh, government and, um, that's probably the underlying uh, similarity that all of these systems have um, is that all things should be done in order, right? Because, because the spirit kind of going, going back to my, my original question regarding, you know, those who, who think, you know, look at going to church as sort of, we're this free, we're this community of people that gather freely and the spirit sort of runs things right we had even a, a vestry member who said that was that was what their church <laughs> was like uh so ch- church meetings if someone had a word from the lord was happen right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah they would just say it and um and so it was like well you know the holy spirit is our our governor and i was just uh um reading for this sunday acts uh acts 13 and the sending out of of uh paul and barnabas um the, the leadership, they, they, it says the language back to back, they sent them off. And then the next phrase is the spirit sent them out. <laughs> so right. the spirit right. uses, uh, the, the, the government uses the orderly, uh, system to do his work. So it is, it is important, but it's also fascinating to see that all these, uh, all these different church governances, uh, get them from the scriptures, right? I, I, Used to be a Baptist. I went uh, to this uh, Baptist church in Megan, um, Virginia, which I, I still keep in touch with them and love them. But I remember um, uh, there was a, a group of us that were going to go through the pastoral epistles to sort of show congregational led ministry. Right. And then I, and and then I come to uh, Anglicanism and I see, I see so clearly what you were just saying, the uh, Episcopal kind of ministry being, being run there. Um, so, okay. So let's um, dissect it a little bit. So we're not congregational led and there's various uh, there's variety in that, right? And congregationally led churches, you have senior pastors, you have elder led, um, but they're still congregational. Um, but that basically, that's a blanket statement for churches that sort of put the the final power in the hands of the people, right? So big decisions are going to happen based off of a, a vote. Um, so that's going to be congregational led. The Presbyterian led um, I, from what I understand, you you probably know this, I know you know this more than I do, but um, from what I understand is jurisdiction and like power is almost divided up in different courts, um, you know, a court for the the actual congregation, court for the district, which I guess we would say diocese, and then the general uh, assembly, or kind of the court for like, say, the whole PCA. Um, so it's kind of divided up, but for us, it's... Bishop, priest, and deacon, right? Can you help us parse that out—the bishop, priest, and deacon—and help us understand um, how this plays itself out in the life of a, a parish? Um, what does it mean for I'm I'm a I'm just a member of the church, member of a good shepherd. I come to Good Shepherd, or go to an Anglican church. What should I expect in church government? What's my role and if what's the pastor's role, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you if you are blessed enough to come to go to a congregation where you have both presbyters and, and deacons, that's that's great because that's not that's kind of rare in the ACNA at this point. Not because we don't want that to happen, because there's just not a lot of clergy, um, and a lot of our churches are small, so. Uh, And not the Good Shepherd is massive. It's a small compared to like your average Baptist church in Alabama. We're like tiny, but, uh, but we're very, you know, pretty good size for ACNA. So, so the, what you would experience at Good Shepherd is we have, we have two deacons who are, uh, who are there. They're not on our staff, but they're there. Uh, You have two priests, John and I. Um, and our ministers are gonna be different. You're never going to see the deacons, for example, uh, celebrating communion. Um, they, they won't do that. They won't, um, exercise that kind of sacramental ministry, but they could. And if, if we weren't around baptize. of course, any person, any, any Christian is authorized to baptize, but in a gathered assembly, usually it's the highest ranking ther- clergy person who would do it when baptism is around, um, but so you'd see, you'd see deacons, most of their role would be uh, uh, visiting the sick, um, helping out in kind of the social ministries of the church, the outreach ministries of the church, uh, going out in the community, seeing what's needed, helping the church uh, uh, meet those needs. Um, also, like the deacons should be really attuned to needs within the parish, especially, especially material health physical needs. And and as as the you wine know, acts chapter six has deacons introduces people who are kind of who are helping make sure the widows get equal distribution, the Greek widows get equal distribution of the Hebrew. So that that kind of thing should be really right in, in the forefront of a deacon's mind. How can I make sure that there's that everyone in our church is taken care of. Um yeah.
0: So that's different from the uh, not not all but the typical Baptist uh way of of of, of deacons a deacon for, for me growing up, I just understood of a deacon as you know really sort of on the board of trustees is kind of the the person mm-hmm. dealing with the finances. Um, yeah. so coming uh in and of course we know that you know the scriptures have it as an office like an, a, an official uh, ministry in the church not just somebody you know looking after finances of course i guess i, I don't know could that be involved um they can't they couldn't do that right
1: not, uh, not the Anglican church no because in the, unless the deacon was not on staff and was elected to the vestry which would be very strange
0: yeah um, yeah cuz the well, they have any um like what's the authority structure does a deacon is a deacon seen as someone who has Authority in the same way as like a presbyter has authority to say, like give an authority to to preach and administer the sacraments. Do we talk about deacons as having an authority in that way?
1: In in Acts, you know the the the, the six who were appointed deacons were also at least, at least Philip and Stephen were preachers. They 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 preach, so that's typically considered part of a deacon's role. um So uh, when a deacon is is serving on a Sunday morning the deacon will always be should generally be the one reading the gospel uh, doing the gospel reading um, and in our diocese the the bishop would have to license a deacon to preach for re- reasons we can get into maybe in another show you know, that might take us off into a rabbit trail but but in general deacons do preach um, and deacons do have a have a have a pastoral ministry. And that that's not like what you're describing from the Baptist context. It, it, the deacons are are they can be considered pastors, and and in, in the same way that a presbyter can, they just can't do all the things a presbyter does. And in a, in the setting of a church, the deacon is is under the authority of the rector, um, in in the in the running of a certain of a given congregation. But he's he's also and this is kind of interesting. <laughs> we might be getting switched into the weeds here, but he's directly under the uh, under the authority of the bishop. So, so, so really, even more than the rector, the deacons are under the authority of the bishop. So, if the bishop wanted to pull one of these deacons out, it could shepherd and send them somewhere else. He could do that, and I mean, I, I could object, but I could. It's really his call, his call to do that. Um, whereas, if you're a priest, you have a little more, you have a little more. Uh, autonomy, and if you're a rector, you have a lot more autonomy. Um, the bishop can't just call me up and say, I, hey, I need you to go to this church over here. You're going to quit your job at, at, at shepherd and go lead at St. Swithin's or something. That doesn't happen. Um, but he could do that with a deacon. With a deacon. So there's a difference there.
0: And so all uh, of this is to, to um, going back to Acts 6, to uh, divide up the responsibilities in the church, um, the, the, the presbyter uh, to, to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer and the deacon primarily focused right. on, on service. Um, right. And then that's that, the needs of the people. Yeah,
1: Exactly. And, and most, most Anglican churches you'll find that don't have deacons. The, the priest most, most likely you only have one and he's doing all of the work. He's doing, he's doing the pastoral care. He's doing the visiting. He's doing the, he's doing the, outreach inreach, reach and also the preaching and teaching and, and sacramental ministries uh and prayer um and that's I that for the first 10 12 years of my ministry at good shepherd and it, it, it it's it will it, it, it's exhausting <laughs> shall we say draining <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 it's, it's, it's draining it's draining um but it's you know, it's doable if you have a small enough church it's just when you get to be i think when you get over 90 to 100 then you just it doesn't it's it's too much for one one man to do all that well um so, so ideally yeah.
0: you have yeah. deacons doing doing that um and uh and that is to free up the priest to primarily do what
1: Study the scriptures. I mean, again, going back to Acts, Acts six, study the scriptures so that he can teach the Bible and preach the Bible in a in a good, healthy, consistent way, consistently, consistently good way. I mean, I, I think that um, in the Ang- one one negative uh, way that Anglicanism developed over the last. Thirty years, maybe probably longer, is there had been a growing, at least in America. I'm not sure about England or else. So there had been a growing disinterest in preaching on the part of of pastors, of rectors, priests, and churches, and so the preaching quality became you know, it was terrible. <laughs> so it was awful, and you could have, and it didn't it didn't it didn't it did not it didn't it wasn't determined by how. How large of a staff the priest had—it just wasn't an emphasis. The emphasis was on music and having beautiful liturgy, which is great, awesome. I Think we should have that. Uh, making sure you know, the, the focus was on the Eucharist, which is great, definitely. But there was no—the focus on preaching was lacking in Anglicanism, I would say, for the last several decades. And I think that's one of the—that's one of the reasons we've had the problems we've had. Uh, because the people in the pews then were were woefully uneducated with regard to the scriptures and how to read the, not just not just what's what's in the Bible but how to read the Bible once you open it up. Good preaching teaches people how to read what they're what they're uh, studying. So uh, so yeah so I think so it's vitally necessary for the AC native to not replicate that bad DNA. And in um, one way that can happen is if the deacons take their proper role and the, the, the priest, the rector, the vicar, whatever he is, has the time then to dedicate himself to studying the scriptures, teaching and preaching on a, in a consistently quality way.
0: After that, because since we're, not, since we're not dealing with a congregationally led church and where the power is primarily with the people... Um, what, what does, uh, what authority does the pastor have, um, in regards to decision making and all that type of stuff that's, that's different from the congregational led model?
1: So I think that, uh, I think that depending on the congregational model you're talking about, you will find the pastor having more authority than a than he has in a congregational model church, you'll find him having less authority than you might have in a spirit-led uh, vision-casting pastor kind of church, right? Because, <laughs> so, uh, right, like we were saying in the beginning, in that kind of church, you have no limits over the pastor role. We have limits. But we don't have as many limits as, say, uh, maybe a Baptist pastor might have when his board of deacons tells him, we think you preach too long. You need to cut down your sermons. We don't like the music you chose last week. Uh, we don't want you to have Christian education in between two services. We want to have coffee hour, those kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, the the vestry has no authority to tell me there's a, the, 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 the dividing line between the authority of the rector, which is the, the, the name for the, uh, the, the I guess we could say senior pastor of of a church and the vestry is the vestry is exclusively focused on money. Everything it's spent has to have vestry approval. Every financial decision has to go through the vestry. Uh, I, as the rector, cannot choose to just buy something unless it's in my discretionary fund, but even my discretionary fund is overseen by and, and given to me by the vestry. So the, the I don't have any say on how how we spend money, where we spend money, when we spend money. Um, I have say, but I don't have decision making uh, authority. By and by in, in the same in the same way, they have no say on how long I preach, uh, what I preach on, um, what I teach on, where. Uh, what what music is, is played during the service, what the worship is like, all the all that is called the spir- spiritual cure of a parish. And and uh, with the spiritual cure, the rector has sole authority over that. Uh, the vestry can advise, the vestry can say, hey, we don't like this, but they can't, they don't have any authority to, to stop the rector from making decisions that he wants to make, insofar as they're not heretical or He's or insofar, in, insofar he's not done something immoral. If they're heretical, or he's acting immorally, like say he's cheating on his wife or whatever, they can then call on the bishop to come in and and have and adjudicate that. But before, until if those two things aren't going on, then the the the, the rector generally has a free hand, and and I think it's a good by free hand. Don't mistake me. I'm not saying he's he can be he's he's governed by scripture he's governed by uh in some way he's he's got to eat so if he makes a decision that so angers all the people in the church and the vestry that they decide they're going to cut off his salary <laughs> they, so he's got there's got to be some kind of comedy between committee between um a comedy that happens to a comity between the between the, the vestry and the and the in the rector and the congregation
0: Mm-hmm. A bit of a, of a balance of the of the powers exactly. there,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so good checks and balances is a good way to describe it.
0: What about the bishop? How does he play into all of this? Because he's over, he's like, he's over the churches in a diocese, which is a region of his churches, right? So, of course, we're an affiliate diocese, so our churches are everywhere, but but churches that are under a bishop, what authority? does he have over those like act like practical authority does he have over those churches
1: um it well okay so it, there's it depends on what role the the per, the priest in the church is playing uh, or occupying if it's a vicar then the bishop has extraordinary extraordinary amount of uh, extraordinary amount of authority because a vicar is right, like the name or the title suggests, he is there. Um, he, the bishop is there vicariously through the priests, so so he he really is um, not as doesn't have as much authority on his own in a parish as a rector would, which we'll talk about in a minute. The vicar is. Um, uh, uh and most i think i think it i think it's the common most common office in england is vicar so you don't have a lot of most english priests don't have a lot of authority within their congregation at least not the same as a rector does a rector has a lot more authority than that um so once you're installed as a rector you essentially have um I, said, I mentioned a minute ago, you're, you're simply like a, bishop, a bishop in residence. The bishop can call you up and say, I think you should do this. I think you should do that. But with, with regard to the governance within your own congregation, he can't really tell you what to do. Um, he can tell a vicar what to do. He can't tell a rector what to do. Uh, a bishop technically has to ask, ask permission to come to see, to, to visit a church that has a rector. He doesn't have to do that with a vicar. He can just tell a vicar, I'm coming this is the date I'm coming. Be ready, but he has to call a rector and say, "Can I come on this date?" Uh, "Yes, you may." "Can I check your books?" "Yes, you may." Can what? There, there's a there's there's an a sense in which um, a, a bishop is is visiting a congregation with a rector, but he's he's presiding, kind of coming in to to check his own stuff with the congregation of the vicar. Um, where this really helped us a good shepherd actually was when we were still in the Episcopal Church and I as rector could say to Bishop skip Adams and you, you know you can't come and preach i I'm not allowing you to come and celebrate communion at our church because you're you've departed from the Christian faith so he came because he had to come every three years and he sat in the pews and I got to preach to him <laughs> And it was awesome. It was great. He was very angry. Um, Yeah, I bet. But, 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 I mean, so, so, that was a, that was a, that was a, the rector is a kind of a check on the bishop's power in 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 the congregation.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like a lot, a lot like with the rector and the vestry, there's got to be this relationship of, of mutual trust. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, bishop, a a good bishop isn't going to want to just, bear down on a rector or, um, uh, or his congregation, because there'll be a lack of trust there. And that, I mean, it won't go well for him. Um, And sort of the same, I guess, the same thing for the rector, like you want to have a good relationship with the bishop. Um, But um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, I mean, we're running out of time, I guess, can you... um, there's probably so much more we could say um but could you give us uh maybe um i think you already mentioned a few of them but some of the strengths to this method of of church governance and then also maybe a downside to it that you have seen or or you could see
1: the strength i think i think i think you do think i've mentioned some of the biggest ones already one is that the, you the, the uh the freedom to rule but not freedom unregulated, right? So, so yeah, you yeah, have limited by law, limited by financial restraints. The the so that if you have a if you have a rector, you have someone who's not constantly being cut down by he has the freedom to act without being um, uh, subverted by by lay governance, which I've seen happen. I mean, sometimes churches get the reputation of just devouring pastors because the pastors aren't toying the line. And that just can't happen in an Anglican church in the same way it can happen in, say, a Baptist church. So, um, and that's a great thing if you have a good rector. If you have a good rector who's biblically solid, wants to follow Jesus and glorify Jesus and preach preach the gospel, then if you got a you know a, you know a banker on the vestry who just doesn't you know, I don't like that he preaches more than 10 minutes. Well, that the banker doesn't have anything to say about that. I don't care how much money he gives to the church, it doesn't matter. If the rector has the you can say, I don't well, go pound sand or I'm gonna preach for 45 minutes and you're gonna sit there and <laughs> and listen. Um so that's that's the benefit. But the, but the but the you know, that's also the Achilles heel, right? Because if you get a rector who's bad and who and who is going off the deep end theologically, you have to have a vestry that's willing to cut the purse strings in order to, 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 use the purse strings to say, you know what you just last Sunday, you just preached that, um, you know, God is, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, uh, transsexual male, whatever you, <laughs> so, so that means we're giving you, you know, a month severance package and then we're cutting you off and you you can still, we can't fire you, but you can, we're not gonna pay you. And and then we're also taking a unanimous vote here to call the bishop who and who can remove you. Um, so you gotta have a vestry willing to take that kind of step. And and what I've found in the Episcopal church is that very often because uh, because you have friendships that develop between rector and vestry, sometimes the vestry is unwilling to to take those steps when they need to. So sometimes the, the checks and balances don't check or balance. And when that happens, you've got a terrible situation going on.
0: Yeah. So we can sum it all up and um, church governance works. If everybody wants to follow Jesus, <laughs> then we're good. Exactly. To go. That's
1: that's a good <laughs> way to put it. It's a great subject.
0: Everybody's yes. on that same page. We should be okay
1: <laughs> right, 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 right. but then that, I think it's probably true for every single system actually
0: right you yeah. sure
1: another, but, but if you, but even in a bad, really bad system if everyone wants to follow Jesus it can work you can make it'll it. work out <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> the Holy Spirit can use that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well great thanks Matt um that was that was uh that was really helpful uh, and thank you everyone for uh for listening once again go check out uh, thecranmerfellowship.com. fellowship.com. Um, uh, you can find all the other episodes, um, there as well. Uh, and if you, uh, if you want a guest on the show or you want us to, uh, like a certain topic for us to address, uh, you can, um, on Spotify, I think you can do it right through the app. So you can, if you're listening on Spotify, you can do that. Or you can email us once again, cranmerfellowship at gmail.com. Um, and, uh, of course you can always follow us on, on Instagram at Cranmer fellows there. You can keep up to date with episodes and, uh, soon to be the, the articles when they drop and other things as, as time goes on. So thanks again for listening. And thank you, Matt.